Welcome to New Piney Grove Baptist Church, where one of our core values is Christian education. Let's tune in to this week's message. Men of impact. Our scripture reference is coming from the book of Acts, which is perhaps the most impactful book in the New Testament. The official name of this book, written by Luke, is the Acts of the apostle. And in saying that, it's interesting to note that the word Acts does not appear in the Bible. And doing some research, I came up with several definitions. And one definition that captured the idea is anything done, being done, or to be done in deeds or performance. And of course, having to relate this in a spiritual way, from a biblical sense, one example was given was this, heroic accomplishments. Heroic accomplishment. There are achievements performed by someone with nobility of character whose acts results in courageous endeavors. And this could be the very reason that the early church fathers named this the Acts of the Apostle in this historic book of the New Testament. Now these acts, these deeds and these performances were performed by men through the power of the Holy Spirit. There's a lesson in that. We'll get to that later. And Jesus named these men apostles. The word apostle means sent one. Then the classical original Greek refers to 12 men who were sent to spread the good news of Jesus Christ. And in doing so, the first Christian church was established. The first Christian church was born. And this consists of many local assemblies throughout all of Asia Minor. Now these 12 men, plus Paul, were responsible for changing the known world. Miracles were commonplace. Blind gained their sight. Lame walked. Sick was healed. Demonic delivered. Prisoners changed, fell off. And even the dead was brought back to life. All of these acts were testimony of the power of the resurrected Christ. But hear me now. None of these acts happened until one specific event took place. I want to say that again. None of these acts happened until one specific event took place. Are you listening to me? It is something that is most often overlooked. You see, before Peter and John going in the temple one day saw a blind beggar and said, silver and gold I have none, but what I have I'm going to give to you. Before Paul and Silas sang so loud in prison, 
that chain fell off. And the Philippine just said, what must I do to be saved? Before Peter told this little girl, Akumi Tama, that the young may arise, something very important occurred. Now, I know it's easy, especially for those that been in church a minute, to say it was the coming of the Holy Spirit. But something precluded the prerequisites. Something precluded even this great event, which I believe is critical to all the acts of the apostles, the apostles. So let's re-examine the text. Let's look closer at Acts chapter 2, verse 1. And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. Nothing happened till they came together on one accord in one place. Then and only then did the power from heaven come down. These empowered the men to have impact on their world. And I submit to every man here today that we can grab hold of this one principle of being on one accord in one place we too can have impact in our church. One accord. I'm going to define it later. But think about this. Most of us men are in ministry, but we have one accord. i say it again. We're in ministry. We're serving the Lord, but we are not on one accord. It's, it's my thing. I do it the way I want to do it mentality. Most of us understand that Sunday is the Lord's day. A day of worship. But we fail together in one place. It's not a priority for us. We'll make any excuse to do whatever we want to do on this Sunday. Assembling together on Sunday is an option. I ain't talking about taking vacation. I ain't talking about taking some needed time off. I'm talking about washing cars and going here and there simply because it's Sunday and tomorrow I got to go to work. And my wife would say, let me get real with you now. Notice that the book is called the Acts of the Apostles and not the Reaction of the Apostles. Now, now what do I mean by that? As men, we often, well, I shouldn't say often, we always react to some type of stimuli. Something flicked our switch. If someone don't recognize our good works, if someone hurt our feelings, if someone disrespects us, we normally act in a negative way because the focus is on us. Then we blame and 
we blame other people for it and we push responsibility on them. As it was said this morning, you're supposed to make me happy. But these acts of the apostles were motivated by their commitment to Jesus, the resurrected Christ. The men who were cowardly, unsure, ignorant, reacted to a stimuli of disappointment. But this was before they came together on the court. Now, they are men of impact. Luke recorded that these men impacted the church so much, so effectively, that it saturated the entire world with the gospel message. What changed? What, what changed after they came together? It was because of what Jesus had promised them in Acts 1 and 8. And we can, let's go to the Bible again and look at what Jesus promised them in Acts 1 and 8. But ye shall receive power after the Holy Ghost is come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto both me in Jerusalem and all of Judea and Samaria and the uttermost part of the world. Ye shall be. This was not an option. This was not something that might happen. This was something that was going to happen. But there's a problem. You see, Acts 1 and 4 says something before Acts 1 and 8. Jesus commanded them to wait in Jerusalem until they received the power. Oh, help me, Lord. Jerusalem was home. And something important we can learn from Acts 1 and 4 by telling them, wait at home. If you don't have power at home, men, you can't impact, impact the church, which is Judea, or the community, which is Samaria, or the uttermost parts of the world. Hold on, hold on. Don't get excited yet. See, some men are not leaders in their home. Not like God has called them to be. And it's not a matter that they lost control. It's a matter of they never had control. Y'all ready for this? See, a sign of this is spousal abuse. If a man has to hit a woman, it's a sign that he has no control from his God-given perspective. He's trying to do it in his own strength. If a man continually verbally abuses a woman, it's a signal that he has a prior issue with himself and his position instead of accepting his high priest position as God has ordained it. Hold on. See, the problem is, men, is how we start a relationship with the woman. And y'all men, I want to talk to you for a minute. Because us old dudes, it's too late for us. 
about starting relationship. See, too many of us fell in lust with the woman. And lust will cause you to do or say anything you can to achieve your goal of gratifying your flesh. Y'all know what I'm talking about. I don't have to get graphic. I want y'all to think with me a minute. And I want to preface this by saying these are my thoughts. This is not biblical. These are my thoughts. Adam, the first man, knew what God had told him. But he let his woman converse with the serpent, who was the devil. And this is what goes on in my mind. He was so busy, he was so captivated by looking at Eve's naked body that he paid no attention to the conversation. So a lot of times when we get in heat, men, we ain't listen to a word she said. And before you know, we don't got ourselves into something that we didn't want to get in because we too busy lusting with our eyes. Can I give you a personal testimony? I knew there was something special about Anseline Walker. And I knew I was in love with Anseline Walker when the only thing I wanted to do was just be near her. I was trying to please her and not my flesh. I knew it was something different. Don't get me wrong. I am not perfect by a long shot as a husband. But my wife honors me as her God-given husband. And I want to give you two reasons that she does. Number one, I try to love her into submission. I tell her all the time, I am seeking the Husband of the Year Award. I have learned not to raise my voice. I have learned not to try to win every confrontation. In other words, for the most part, I let her have her way. You see, Paul gives us two lanes in Ephesians, and I have to stay in my Ephesians lane. And my Ephesians lane is to love her as Christ loved the church. But she knows there are certain things I'm not going to compromise on. Ain't many, but it's a few. And she respects that. But the main reason that my wife honored me as the head of our household, because my wife is a woman of the worry. Now, now y'all hear me now. I ain't bragging. I, I'm the one that has the three doctors degree, but she knows more Bible than I do. I'll tell anybody that she knows the Bible more than I do. And she obeys the spirit of God. I don't have to tell her anything. I let God deal with her. If he gave her to me, then God, you deal with her. I learned that from, from Brother John. What's the name here? John Ford. Look at him, Reverend Pastor Ford. He's been married some 60 
five years now. And he said that when he had a problem, he said, God, that woman you gave him, you deal with it. This, because she's a woman of the word, she knows to stay in her Ephesian lane. And any time that I try to cross over by saying you're supposed to be something, I just crossed in the wrong lane. If you cross in the wrong lane, you're going to have a head-on collision. That's you, young man. Now let's get back to the text. <laughs> the apostle was told to wait. And because they were obedient, they got blessed. Y'all ain't getting this. Sometimes we get too much in a hurry. You can't do what I do being married 63 years or 53 years at three years. It takes time to grow together. You've got to wait, hang in there, and stick together. And you young people, you can do more to keep your mom and dad together by doing what you're supposed to do. And remember this, what you reap, you're going to sow. Don't be saying nothing 20 years down the road when your 15-year-old be sneaking out the house when you sneaking out the house now yourself. Back to our text in Acts 2 again. Let's look at it. And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were in one accord and in one place. Stick with me on this. And the Greek phrase, one accord, is an adverb. Homo di madon. And I want y'all to say that with me. Homo di madon. And there's a reason for that. Originally, this word carried the idea of a common agreement of mind and purpose. But the New Testament concept word does not mean everyone agrees on everything. Rather, these men were able to focus on the purpose and the motive which united them. This resulted in a unified action. Brothers, we don't have disagreement. We may not agree, but we can agree Jesus the Lord. We agree that this is his church. We agree he wants best for his church. So homo dimaton just implies we are, we are focusing on what we agree on and not arguing about things we don't. Text also said they were in one place. The Bible doesn't name the place. And the most common belief is in the upper room. But there's a new popular view which I kind of beginning to embrace that it was somewhere near the temple if it's not in the temple you see the temple when they say temple they have a temple area outside that's a large area 120 people would find it very difficult to get into a room think about that because they waited because they came on one accord. Verse 2 says, and suddenly, and suddenly there came a sound from heaven as a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the house 
where they were sitting. He filled the house where they were sitting. Filled the house where they were sitting. Verse 3 said, And they appeared unto them clothed in tongues like as of fire. And sat on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost. And began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Notice, notice, notice. The Spirit filled the place before it filled the people. And sometimes when you come in here late, the place has already been filled. You missed it! The word clothes here means distributed. You see, a massive flame came down and, and it appeared and then it broke off and settled on each and every one that was in the place. The tongues are signs of communication. It used all those present to communicate the word of God to a worldwide audience because the, the, the act said that every nation under heaven was there. There was over 19 dialects that Luke records in chapter 2, verse 9 and 10. And although there were multiple dialects, they all heard the same message. Mm. Mm. We may not all speak alike. All of us are not from the South and definitely all of us are not from Macon. But our message ought to be the same. What did they hear? They heard them talking about the wonderful works of God. This miracle. This speaking in tongues. Different languages. And I believe it was more than 19. It astounded those who heard it. And they say, hey, all these Galileans, how is it we hear them speaking the wonder works of God in our own language? But you know, you always got to have some critics. So some of the people said, Reverend Brown, they just drunk. So Peter took the opportunity to preach the gospel and correct their misconception. And his message, St. Peter that said, I didn't know him. St. Peter that said it three times, I didn't know him. Now filled with the Holy Ghost. His message was so impactful that 3,000 people committed their lives to Christ. The Christian church was born and now these new babes in Christ need to be nourished. Therefore, it's necessary for the apostles to continue to have impact on the lives of the new converts. We can't let people get saved and just leave them. We got to continue to have impact. This brings me to verse 42 of chapter 2. And they continued steadfastly in the apostle doctrine and fellowship and the breaking of bread and prayer. Now the Greek word here for steadfastly means 
continual attendance. Through the power of the Holy Spirit, Peter Messiah opened up these new believers to a new dimension. And they now understood God's plan and his purpose. And they became hungry for the word of God. They wanted to learn more. Before I get to the progression, let me confess. They were hungry for the word of God. They were hungry for the word of God. Some of you don't know, but a few do. That when I come in here on Sunday morning, there's always going to be some type of distraction, sometimes more than others. Today was one of the more than others as I came here. For some reason, there was a spirit of slowfulness. As I began to look at the time near faith development, I saw some things that I didn't like. I saw people eating instead of being in class. I saw two teachers in class by themselves with no students. I saw students outside, not inside. Saw some come in grumping. And I began to say, okay, we are a church whose core value is Christian education. I've got to do something. I've got to say something. I'm going to get on them because they're not taking this serious enough. I mean, I was having a battle with the devil. As I began to think about how the Lord wanted me to say it, this came to me. You ain't having enough impact on them. They ain't hungry for the word. Because if they were hungry for the word, they would be here. Not only the people that were here eating, but there were some people other other places eating, and nobody has to force you to eat. So you weren't here because you weren't hungry. And I have to take responsibility for that because I evidently didn't have enough impact on people to be hungry for the word. Notice the progression according to the scripture. They were steadfast in doctrine, Bible learning. They continued in wanting to develop their faith. You can call it Sunday school. You can call it whatever you want to call it, Bible study. But they were hungry for it, so they were steadfast. They were steadfast in fellowship. That means coming together with everybody else. Some people won't come to church based on who's teaching, who's preaching, or who's sitting where. Or maybe what they're wearing. They were steadfast in breaking of bread. That's the Lord's Supper in this case. Communion, as we call it, or the Eucharist, whatever you want to call it. But they were steadfast in it because they knew what it meant. And most importantly, they were steadfast in prayer. And this prayer here is group intercession. Coming together as a group. Not individual. Coming together as a group. To pray for the concerns of the church. 
And I just simply ask you how important it is for you to be here at prayer meeting. When devotion start, when we pray. And because they were steadfast in doctrine, fellowship, breaking the bed in prayer, something happened. First start 43. And fear came upon every soul. And many wonders and signs were done by the apostles. The results of the steadfast was a reverent respect for leadership. A reverent respect for leadership that whatever the leaders bid you to do, you do it. It's like we learn in faith development with joy. Their continual attendance was more than just fellowship. It became a partnership in ministry of the church, sharing the message and the work. Verse 4 and 6 says, and they continued, and here we go again, daily with homo thymethon, one accord in the temple. And the breaking of bread, this is a different one, from house to house, did they eat meat with gladness and sing of heart, praising God and having favor with all people. And the Lord added, not them, the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. The impact of Christian men in worship resulted not only in fellowship and partnership, but into a relationship. This one accordance flowed from the temple to their home. How many of us men here got someone that we fellowship with other than on Sunday or Wednesday? See, their effort resulted in a camaraderie that was so powerful that all who witnessed it glorified God and many wanted to be a part of it. And the Lord added to them because they wanted to be a part of it. So, so what, Pastor? So what? Y'all remember this word? Homo die matan? Well, guess what? Brothers, it's a root word for the word harmony. And as our chairman Joe McElroy had been pushing, these men came in perfect harmony. And God blessed their efforts. And the church continued to grow. And I submit to you again, we come in perfect harmony. Our church will grow spiritually and numerically. Benjamin Franklin once said this, we must all hang together or we will hang separately. His words are in line with the quote, united we stand and divided we fall. But let me put a biblical context to it. Jesus said, if a house be divided against itself, it cannot stand. Brothers and my sisters, sisters, y'all did good yesterday. We need to come together in perfect harmony and be on one accord if we're going to be men of impact. 
listen to our teacher this morning where he said about the fact that he hugged his son and discovered later on that there was another boy who perhaps didn't have a daddy who wanted that hug too. Opportunities like that are missed opportunities of impact. And I've had my missed opportunities as well. But I do know this. The first step of us coming together on one accord is first being one accord with the master. Because you're not going to do anything, even though I say Hebrews 13, 17, obey them to have rule over you. You're not going to do it until you're obedient to the Lord. That's the first step. And some of you may say, well, how do I do that? Well, first of all, you got to confess your need. And once you confess your need, he'll save you. And if you desire to open up, he will change you. And you won't see your brother just as an individual. You will see him as a brother. And you will begin to grow on one accord. Let us stand. I have a responsibility to give this call to discipleship because our main purpose is to save those that are lost. So I am employing those here today who may not be saved to give your life to Christ today. Thanks for listening. We pray that you have been blessed by the message. Visit us on the web at npgbc.org for contact information, service times, or directions to our place of worship.